Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, your word always has something to say to us. I pray that you would speak to my heart, to our hearts today. Lord, I pray that we'll take what you're saying to us to heart and that we would then act on what you're saying to us, Lord. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for the privilege of sharing God's word with you this morning. And we have been in a series on the minor prophets. And over the last few weeks, we have been looking at Malachi, Zechariah, and last week, James did Haggai. And his sermon was entitled, Building for God's Glory. And if you didn't get that, or if you weren't here, please get that message. It was excellent ministry. You'll want to hear it. God will challenge your heart, and you'll be encouraged by it. And so today, we're going to look at the book of Joel. And uh, those three prophets actually spoke into that era after the exile and um, when they had returned to Jerusalem. And the book of Joel and the prophecies of Joel are actually before the exile. You'll see, I'm sure the timeline has come up behind me. And so we're going to focus on really on chapter two of Joel, the second half. And uh, we're also going to look at Acts 2 as the fulfillment of that prophecy that Joel gave. But I just want to give a little bit of background of chapter one and chapter two of Joel, just so that we can understand what it is about. Thank you. So we don't know much about Joel, not much is said about him, that just that he's identified by his father's name. But this is also so amazing for me, just that the first verse says that the word of the Lord came to Joel, son of Pethuel. And you know, we need to understand that God used him as a prophet. God's word came to him. He declared that word. He was obedient in bringing it to the people of God. But yet that word continues for us today. It wasn't just for then. Then it was, it's for now. God's word is timeless. It is powerful. And his word speaks into our hearts even now. So when we have a look at um, these passages today, I want to have a look at it under three headings. The problem, the promise, the power, and the purpose. All the P's this morning are so great when it fits in so well like that. And if I could entitle my message, I would call it Empowered to Build for God's Glory. On the back of James's preach, Empowered to Build for God's Glory. So we're going to start at point one, the problem. And the problem at that time when Joel prophesied was that Israel was in sin. They had turned away from God and they were sinning. And God had to correct them because you know, God always corrects those he loves. He loves us too much to leave us where we are. And so sometimes he has to use extreme measures to get our attention, but he does it because he loves us so deeply and he wants us to be in relationship with him because he knows that is what we've been created for. He knows that is the best place for us to be, for us to be in right relationship with him. So if there's anything that's hindering that, he gets to that and he gets our attention and he pulls us back to us. And it's exactly the same. It was then, it happened then and it will happen the same today. So the themes in Joel are God's judgment of human sin, the need for repentance, and restoration by God's great grace and mercy. And that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Those are the themes in Joel. So God had to bring judgment on the people to make them realize that it was time to repent, to turn away from their sin and from their wicked ways, and to turn back to God. So the judgment comes in the form of swarms of locusts. And if you know Joel, you might have read those passages. And it's left the 
their land in incredible, incredibly devastated. And you read that in Joel 1 verse 4 to 12. You know, locusts can fly 150 kilometers in one day. And they can eat food that could have fed 35,000 people in one day. So the destruction is immense. So the sky became dark and those locusts came in and they left nothing in their wake. There was not a blade of grass. It says that even the bark was stripped from the trees. The trees were white. They left nothing and that land was devastated. And I'm sure it must have been heartbreaking. It must have been terrible for those farmers and for the people to look at their provision and their wealth being destroyed in a day or even over a couple of days. And then on top of that, there was a drought in the land as well. So they were in a terrible situation and God used this to get their attention. And so Joel in that time, he, in Joel 1 verse 13 and 14, he calls them to repentance. He's saying, turn away and turn back to God. But their repentance was shallow. And then Joel says to them, if you don't turn to God with all your heart, a second wave of judgment is going to come. And it won't be locusts, but it will be something like locusts that will also cause devastation in your land. It will be armies, maybe the armies of Babylon. They will come, soldiers on horses, looking like locusts, and they will come through the land and they will bring devastation. It will be a day of darkness and gloom, Joel says. Similar to that of, we read in the book of Judges, it says like a swarm of locusts that, a swarm of locusts, the Midianites and the Amalekites came through the land of Israel and they also brought devastation. It will be something like that. If you do not turn from your sin and turn back to God and in Chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, he calls again and he says, repent, repent, turn from your sin. And it says, return to me with all your heart, declares the Lord. Rent your hearts and not your garments. Don't just let it be an outward thing. Well, I tear my garments and it looks like I've changed my heart and it looks like I'm mourning and I'm going to turn back to God. God sees our hearts. He saw their hearts and he knows and he can also see by our actions if it is heartfelt. And God is always looking for heartfelt repentance. So we see the problem with sin and the solution for sin is always repentance and the forgiveness of God and then which brings a restoration of our relationship with him. So in the midst of what is happening at that time, what had happened through the locusts and then Joel using that picture to show them that a second wave of judgment would come, Joel shifts gears a little bit. And in the midst of that, he actually brings a prophecy about Israel's future. And this is the one I want to focus on. And this is my second point, the promise. Joel speaks out this promise that God gives to his people. We see that promise coming through Joel. We see it coming through John the Baptist. And we see it coming through Jesus as well. And Joel prophesies about this incredible day that God is going to pour out his spirit on all people. And I want to read it to you. And afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. 
I will show wonders in heaven and on earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. And I just want to point out to you from this passage, two things that struck me as I read it again. The promise that Joel brings is it says here that I will pour out my spirit. God says, I will pour out my spirit. He doesn't say, I will sprinkle you or I will just give you, there'll, there'll just be a little trickle and I you know, hope you'll just get a drop or two of it. He will pour out his spirit upon us. I picture myself standing under a waterfall and imagining the Holy Spirit coming on me in power like that with that kind of force. So he also knew, knowing that, the incredible purposes that God had in pouring out the Spirit on His people, that the people of God needed His power to do the works that He was calling them to. Couldn't be a trickle. We wouldn't survive on a trickle. We needed His power to be able to be the witnesses that He's calling us to be. Then the second thing is, it's so beautiful that this promise is for everybody. It's for everybody. There's no distinction. Nobody is left out of this promise. It is to old men, it is to women, it is to the servants. It is for everyone. The only prerequisite is that we have turned from our sin and we have been forgiven by God and we are in relationship with Him. And those of us in today's times, that would happen through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to be saved, born again, to be able to receive this promise by the Holy Spirit or from the Holy Spirit. The second time we see this promise coming forth is in Luke 3 verse 16, where John the Baptist is speaking about Jesus. And he says this, John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so we see that this promise had such great significance for the people of God, for them going forward and what God was calling them to do, that it's reiterated again in Acts 1 verse 4 to 8. And just before Jesus ascends, he says this to his disciples and we read it in Acts 1 verse 4 to 8. It says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They were a bit caught up in what was happening at the time. And they wanted God to change things politically for them. But he immediately just points them back to kingdom purpose. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but let's get back to the crux of the matter. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So in that moment when Jesus is telling them that he's going to God's going to fulfill that promise. He closes that gap. They'd been waiting eight or nine hundred years for this promise that Joel had given them. And in that instant, 
when he says in a few days, he says it is coming. What you have been waiting for, the time is now. And I'm sure an anticipation must have risen in their hearts and thought, I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't know what, when within those few days this is going to happen. But we are excited because God is going to fulfill his promise to us. And he is going to empower us. And so they believed the promise. They believed it. And in obedience, they went to the upper room, about 120 Christ followers, and they waited to receive the Holy Spirit. And I wonder if that was us, if we would have said, you know, I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us how long they waited. But I wonder if it was us, if we would have said, oh, it's about 10 minutes, 15 minutes, Lord, another five minutes and I'm out of here. And I think sometimes as modern people, we don't understand what it is to wait on God. Sometimes we have to wait for a promise, eight or 900 years it was for them. Sometimes for us, we have to wait in our own lives for the promise to be fulfilled. We get hasty and we lose heart. We think, oh, God's forgotten. He is not gonna do this. And sometimes there's also this waiting on God in our daily lives where we're always rushing. So sometimes I think we miss out on the fullness of God because we don't make time just to wait in his presence and receive everything that he wants to give us. I really want to encourage you in that, to just take heed here and just see what the disciples, they waited, they believed the promise and they waited and that they received everything that God wanted to give them. So God empowered them to be his witnesses in that moment. And that leads me to my third point, the power. So as they waited... A promise-keeping God poured out His Spirit. And this is what happened on that day. Acts 2 verse 1 to 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you notice? All of them. It's for everyone, each one of God's children. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Pantheans, or Parthians, sorry, <laughs> Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much. Uh, they have had too much wine. So we see this incredible act of God and how God breaks into their lives and pours out the Spirit upon them. And so Peter gets up to explain to them because they're saying, "What is going on here?" And he said, "You don't have to be perplexed, but be amazed." Be amazed at what God has done, but don't be perplexed. This has nothing to do with man, but this is an act of God. And God is fulfilling the promise that he gave a long time ago. And he is making himself known to us. He is presencing himself with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
and it came through John the Baptist and Jesus, and now the power of the Spirit is here for us. And we see that there was this mighty wind, and we see there was fire. The wind is a representation or a symbol of the Holy Spirit, and so is fire. But if you've been tracking with us, you would have seen in some of the other books, fire is used and represents something different. Sometimes it has meant um, or, or referred to judgment, to testing, to the refiner's fire, or an all-consuming fire. But in this instant, the fire here represents the presence and the power of God. And he was showing himself to them and saying, I'm with you and I am empowering you. So God breaks in in a wonderful way. So let's have a look. When God breaks in and he empowers his people with the Holy Spirit, what happens? What changes for them? How does this change their lives at this time? And we see it recorded in the book of Acts. And there are only some of the instances, obviously, but they are amazing things. And you should go and read the book of Acts just to go and see when the power of the Spirit came on them, it changed everything. It gave them an ability way beyond themselves. So I'm just going to mention four of the things that we see happened once they were empowered by the Spirit. They spoke in other languages, which is what we've just said now, declaring the wonders of God in tongues that the people could understand. So they had gathered, Jewish people had gathered from all over the world at Pentecost to actually celebrate the Feast of Weeks, is what Hebrews people, Hebrew people used to call it. And they came together to worship God. And they were there, and in that moment, they could hear the gospel, as it were, in their own tongue. And we just see God's incredible heart for people. He wants everybody to save, from every, to be saved, from every tribe, tongue, or nation. He loves all people. And this is such a beautiful picture, again, of that God's heart for the nations. Then we see the second thing in, in the book of Acts is that they performed signs, wonders, and miracles, just as Jesus did. And Jesus did that because that was a way that God was showing people that he was the son of God that he was the Messiah. And there was a confirmation of the person of Christ. And in the same way as the disciples did signs, wonders, and miracles, it was a way of God saying, I'm endorsing your message. I'm confirming this message of the gospel. Listen to these guys. I'm behind this message. And so... We, the third thing that we see is that they receive boldness. And this isn't surprising because this is exactly what Jesus said. You will receive the Holy Spirit in boldness and to be witnesses, to be my witnesses. And so they had seen how Jesus had lived. They'd listened to his teachings. They saw his death and resurrection. So they spoke of that. They had seen how he had built the kingdom and they were called to continue that work that he had started. But if you look at the kind of people they were before Acts 2, before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they were actually quite timid. And they were uncertain. There were many times they didn't understand what Jesus, they were like, what are you saying? I don't understand what you're talking about. Explain. And sometimes Jesus used to get a little bit impatient with them. It's like, I've been with you for such a long time and you still don't get it. But after the outpouring of the Spirit, there was such revelation, such understanding. They were tenacious. They were bold. They were resolute. They were fearless. 
They were unrelenting. They were an incredible band of people that went out, preached the gospel, and built the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was despite the many challenges that they faced. You know the persecution that they experienced. They were shipwrecked, flogged, beaten. They were criticized, thrown in prison. They went through a lot, but nothing held them back. Sometimes I think when I'm preaching the gospel or sharing with somebody and they just get a little bit um, off or they, you know, resistant to what I'm, t- and I back off. And I'm thinking, these guys, look what they went through, and they, they never held back. And sometimes I think we're so easily intimidated. But how is it that they did it? They did it by the power of the Spirit, because they had the boldness. And I'm trusting that God's just going to make us so aware of that today. He's actually given us the boldness by His Spirit. And we should step out and use it and not hold back anymore. And we see that um, in Acts 5, verse 40, 42, it says, they called the apostles in. This was after they'd been preaching and the guys were not happy with them. And they flogged them. You must know when they were beaten or flogged, they, ha- they left there with gaping wounds. We're not talking about a little beating with a cane. We're talking about some, a, a whip that would rip their flesh open. So they were, the apostles, they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them to speak, not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So incredible boldness. And a, and a perseverance that came by the Holy Spirit. Then the third thing we see, oh no, it's the fourth one. They prophesied. They had dreams and they had visions where Joel said would happen. And that points clearly to me to 1 Corinthians 12, which speaks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And there are nine of them. You can go and read them. They've just mentioned one or two here. But they flowed in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we see it where Paul has a dream in Acts 16 about a most Macedonian man. And the, and the guy says to him, come over and help us. And he goes there and he ministers. And then in Acts 10, we see how Peter has a vision of that sheet with the unclean animals that comes down because he was meant to go to Cornelius's house who is a Gentile and they never went into Gentile homes. And so he was struggling with that and God spoke to him and said, don't call unclean what I call clean. Go to Cornelius's home. And he goes, he preaches the gospel. Their whole household is saved and they are all filled with the Holy Spirit. So we see how these gifts, and in other occasions, how the gifts of the Holy Spirit made them more effective in ministry. And it's the same with us today. The gifts that we have been given are meant to make us more effective in this ministry that God has called us to do. So just as the disciples were filled and commissioned by Jesus, filled with the Spirit, and did amazing things for him, we can see that it is the same for us today. It wasn't like Dekela said, just for what we read in Joel 2, what we read in Acts 2. This is something for us who are building the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need his power. There's no way we can do, uh, do it without him. And that leads me to my fourth point, the purpose. So we see it's to empower us 
to witness. You know, God's heart is for people to come into relationship with him. That is the central message of the Bible. That is God's heart. So I want to just say to you today, let's just look at what the purpose is not. Okay. Before we look at what it is. It's not to make us look good. It's not for us to prove our spirituality or our sense of worth. You know, God has given us a sense of security the day we were saved and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Our identity is secure in Christ. We don't have to long for the the gift of the Spirit or the power of the Spirit to try to prove that we are worthy or try to prove that we are more spiritual than someone else in the church. It's not an indicator of our worth. We're empowered to do ministry. The main role of the Holy Spirit is actually to showcase Jesus, to point people to Jesus, to bring Jesus glory, not us. And so I don't want us to think that it's about us because sometimes I think we've redefined that purpose and we've made it more about us than what it really is. Then the other thing is, It's not to make us feel good. It's not just for us to have another experience with God or with the Holy Spirit or for us to get goosebumps. But I want you to understand this, is that the Holy Spirit is not just a mystical power or a force. He's a person. And we can develop a relationship, a personal relationship with Him, just the way we do with the Father and the Son. And so we can have incredible times, personal times with the Holy Spirit. And we should. And so as we spend time in the the presence of the Spirit and with the Holy Spirit, He leads us. He ministers to us. He strengthens us. He equips us. He teaches us, comforts us, and um, what's the other word? Counsels us. So we can have this incredible experience in a personal sense. But I think sometimes we've kept it for ourselves and think and thought to ourselves, that is what it's all about, when really it's about the empowering for ministry. So I don't want to detract from that personal aspect of our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And just like that song said, that my heart pounds when I'm in your presence. There's no way you can sit in the presence of God and not feel anything. You must feel something. You will feel something. So I'm not talking about that, but I want us to understand and make a distinction and say the power of the Holy Spirit that comes upon us, the way Joel and Acts speaks about, is for witness. It's for us to take what Jesus has given us, what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives, and to share it with those that don't know Jesus or share it within the church so the church can be built up. So it's for empowering and for us to be able to minister inside the church and outside the church. We need to use the power that we've been given to build God's kingdom for his glory. It's not so that we can look good and feel good. In Isaiah 61, Isaiah prophesies about Jesus and he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because 
because, that's such an important word in that sentence. It says, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, bind the brokenhearted, set the captives free. And there's a list of things that Jesus does when he comes to earth. And Jesus says in Luke 4, verse 16, after he's read from the scroll, and he reads this passage, he says, this is what, this is who, as I was speaking, is talking about me. And I have fulfilled and am fulfilling this passage. And I am fulfilling this commission that God has given me. So Jesus did these incredible works on earth and he established the kingdom of God. But just before his ascension, he passes the baton on to us and he says, continue my work. Continue what I've begun. Continue to build the kingdom of God for my glory. That's what I'm asking you to do. And in Matthew 28, it says, all authority, Jesus says to Jesus, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go, now you go and make disciples, teaching everyone and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I think it's so important that we desire to be obedient to this great commission that Jesus has given us to go and make him known in the earth and to make disciples. And it's also very important that we desire the power of the Holy Spirit that we've been speaking about because without it, we're not gonna be able to do it. But I want us to check our motives and say, do, do we understand what it is for, what the purpose is? It was given for us to be witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was given to us to be able to minister for his glory. And so I want us just to pray that God will break our hearts for what breaks his. He wants to restore people to relationship and that we will get a heart for that again. And that we'll say, Lord, I want to be involved in your work. I want you to use my life. I want to take that which you've put in my hands, that power that you have given me, I want to use it to build your kingdom. And I want to end with a dream that I had on the 7th of April, just a couple of weeks ago. So God gave me a very vivid dream on the 7th of April that people were being tortured through suffering. The conditions that they were in were dark and dirty and the people themselves were dirty and many of them were covered with sores, wandering around aimlessly and in anguish. But what struck me in the dream was the terrible despair and desperation. It was overwhelming. I thought in the dream as I watched them, pray and call out to God. He'll answer you. Call out to him. I've always believed, even as a young child, before I came to know Jesus, that if I called on the name of God, he would help me. And I had that same sense. If you will just call out, God will help you. But they couldn't hear me. And I couldn't tell them to call out to God. And I looked around and I thought to myself, surely help will come. Surely help will come for these people. But there was no help. And I felt desperate beyond words that there was no way out. That was the feeling. There was no way out. There was no way that these circumstances would ever change for these people. And I woke up feeling overwhelmed and disturbed. And so I prayed because God often speaks to me in dreams. And I realized in that moment that God was giving me a picture of hell. And I said, Lord, no. 
No, it is not possible for people to experience that despair and torment and hopelessness for eternity. How? How? It's not possible. It just overwhelmed me as I thought about it. It felt like a nightmare that I can't even fully explain to you. But God is saying there is time now. He is saying there is hope now. There is an answer now. There wasn't an answer in that dream, in the picture of hell, but there is one now, and his name is Jesus. Because today is the day of salvation. There might not be another time for you. And I wanna urge you, I wanna urge you, if you're here, if you're watching online and you're not right with God, I wanna ask you to turn away from your sin and turn towards Jesus. He wants to save you. He wants to rescue you from your sin and where you are far from him. And so people often think, how can a loving God allow people to go through such horrendous suffering? But I want to say to you, a God of love sent Jesus so that no one would have to suffer and experience such terrible torment. He sent Jesus so that now, while we're here on earth, we can enjoy a relationship with him and we can spend eternity in his presence and not in the torment of hell. But there is a cutoff to this grace. There will come a day when you cannot call on the name of the Lord anymore. And there is a cutoff to proclaiming this grace to those that don't yet know him. And we must be aware of that today. So I said to the Lord, please don't ever let this picture fade from my mind. Because I want it to move me to preach the gospel more than I do. I want to have a heart. And I want to understand again how much you love people. And I want to do something about it. And so maybe you're sitting here today and you're far from God and you're feeling an element of fear in your heart. I don't want you to push that fear down because I believe it's God stirring your heart and making you realize how important this decision is. That you can't continue walking in your own ways and going your own way because there will come a day when God will judge your sin. And he wants you while you can call on him. He wants you to realize that he's there for you, that he loves you too much to leave you where you are. Today is the day of salvation. And all you need to do in, we say Acts, it's Romans 10. It says, if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. And a couple of verses, it says there as well, whoever, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Same as Joel. If you call on his name, he will hear, turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus because he wants to save you. And then there might be some of you here that are thinking about this dream of hell and you're thinking about a close friend or a family member that you've been praying for for a long time and you feel a bit desperate sitting there. But I wanna say to you today, don't stop praying. Let this move you to pray because God hears the prayers of a righteous person and he moves. And you know, I had a few people in my family that are not saved or weren't saved at the time. And God gave me that promise to say, you and your whole household will be saved. And my mom and I started to pray for each one. My brother was here at the first service. We prayed for him for 10 years and God saved him. And it seemed so impossible at the time. God saved my dad. I wonder, I said, is this man savable? His heart was so hard 
and he turned to Jesus and he was saved. So I wanna urge you to pray for your loved ones and use every opportunity that you can to preach the gospel to them. And God will use you in your unique way to declare the truth of his word to those around you. And I want to say to you just what we've been speaking about, the promise has been given to each of us to receive that power for this purpose, to be his witnesses. Don't think you go in your own strength or your own authority. You go in the power of the Spirit. He will give you the words to speak. He will give you the ability, ability that is way beyond yourself. It is the Holy Spirit that makes us an effective minister of the gospel. We don't have it in ourselves, but if we are open to him and allow the spirit to move through us, God can use us to declare declare his truth to those around us. Vaughan's going to come up now and we're just going to spend some time in prayer. Um, Because God never just uh, has a word, not today, not any day that we hear a preach that he just wants to tickle our ears with and uh, we just move, move off. Wanting us to respond. I think there are two ways that he wants us to respond uh, this morning. Two groups of people, maybe. And the first group is that group uh, that Lorelei spoke about. Those of you that uh, are are walking in sin, you've never turned to Jesus. You've never repented of your sin. God's inviting you this morning to call on the name of Jesus. You're in this room online. Where you're at, call on the name of Jesus. I'm not going to ask you to put up your hands. I don't, want, I don't need to see. I want you to, to respond to what God's Word says. Call on Jesus. How do you do that? You simply just recognize that you're a sinner and that He's a Savior who loves you deeply. And then you ask Him to forgive you, to come into your life and to help you to live your life obediently following Him. Call on His name. And then there's another group of people and I'm just going to read from uh, Luke. It says this, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one, receives, the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? There's some of us that need to just ask God for His Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit for what? To empower us to build His kingdom. To empower us to proclaim Jesus. And so two camps of people, and I'm gonna pray for both. You know who you are. I want you to reach out to God uh, yourself just in simplicity, just lay your hand, lift your heart to Him as it were, as I pray. Father, I wanna pray for people in this room online who have never yet made a commitment to You. Father God, today You have moved in their hearts and they realize how serious hell is and life without You is. Maybe it's only the beginnings of realizing, but Lord, there's something inside their heart today that is drawing them to You. Father, I wanna pray that as they call out to You, You would do what You promised to do that you would save them, that you would make them your children. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, I pray this, this, this morning that you would do a mighty work in people's lives here and online. Those of you that are just sitting in your, in your lounge, it can be such an awesome uh, privilege and a moment for you to call on the name of Jesus. Call on Him. 
call on Him even now. And then, Father, I want to pray for those of us that are simply saying, Lord, we don't want to live an ordinary life. Lord, we want to be witnesses for You. We want to build Your kingdom. Lord, we recognize today that we can't do that in our own strength. We are mere men and women. But Lord, when we have this Holy Spirit come upon us and empower us, we're able to do the works of Jesus. We're able to proclaim the word of Jesus. And Father, I wanna pray today that as people ask you for your spirit, that you will embolden us, that you will impassion us. Father God, to go into the highways and the byways, into our neighborhoods and our families and our schools and our workplaces, to tell people about the love of Jesus the love of Jesus who is real, the forgiveness of Jesus who is, th- th- that is real. Father God, I wanna pray today, Lord, that you will forever change the way we look at the people around us. Lord, I pray that we'll see people that you love deeply and that, want, that you wanna save. Lord, that, that we would see people that you wanna break in on their lives to bring them out of um, the places where they find themselves that is causing so much destruction. Lord, that you're wanting to bring freedom and hope and peace and love to people's lives. God, I pray this morning, even as we ask and I ask, God, pour out your Spirit on us. Lord, not a trickle, not a drop, pour out your Spirit. We ask for that, God, in Jesus' wonderful name. Everyone said, Amen. We're gonna stand, we're gonna sing a song. It's one that we sang a little bit earlier. It's a great song for you to just continue to be in a prayerful um, attitude as you ask God for His Spirit or call on His name. And uh, let's sing.